You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. We're in the middle of talking about intimacy. And uh, in the middle of talking about intimacy, we're also in a season as a church where we're talking about discipleship. And what does it mean to grow in discipleship? And when you hear things like the mission deal, mission trips are, are part of discipleship. And if you're in a season where you're wanting to grow in your experience of God, you're wanting to grow in your relationship with God, and you're wondering what does that look like, part of that might mean that you go on a mission trip or that you come to that meeting and God gets you excited about missions. You know, one of the things that we feel like God is doing also is that he's really moving among marriages right now and bringing healing to marriages. We're doing lots of, not me, but just our church in general is doing a lot of counseling in marriage. And God's just doing exciting things in that area. That also is discipleship. And we're going to be looking for married couples to mentor other married couples. And so just as those things come up, just know that we just, we're excited. God is really on the move right now at River City Church when it comes specifically kind of to the broad scope of things of us growing to maturity not being a baby church anymore but really being an adolescence and a part of adolescence is maturing in our relationship and our knowledge and our experiences of God trusting God more with more of our life um and so this morning what I'd like to talk about is uh, like I said we're still in the season of intimacy and I think that for many of us when it comes to intimacy and I've asked different speakers to speak on intimacy so that you would get a, a taste of how they kind of come to God with their experience of God is. But ultimately, if we don't feel like Jesus is worth coming to, then our journey towards intimacy, our journey in discipleship, isn't gonna, it's just not gonna happen. We're just not gonna make the sacrifice. And I wanna talk today a little bit about the importance, or not the importance, but the, the, the unique thing or, or the uniqueness about Jesus and who he is and him calling himself to us. I want to begin with a story, though. Um, whenever I was in high school, uh, my dad and I would sail. My dad was a big sailor. Uh, some of you have heard me talk about him. He tried to cross the Atlantic three different times, an 18-foot Cape Dory, no motor, sail only. It was a world record at the time. And uh, anyway, he, he was a big risk taker. He never made it. He got hit by a submarine one time, got caught in a hurricane the other two times. And uh, I mean, it's amazing stories and, and, and that he's, uh, yeah. But anyway, amazing stories. And and um, one, of the, one of the things that happened, though, is that uh, he, he bought the sailboat, and he would love to go sailing on the weekends. Well, with me, my, bro- my brother really never got into it, but I would kind of, I'd go just because I, you know, had to feel bad because no one else would want to go with him or whatever. And, um, and so uh, it was, we went out on Sunday, and, and we lived in South Florida. We grew up in South Florida. And you got to realize that when we come out of the marina and you get in what's called the Intercoastal Waterway, okay? And the Intercoastal Waterway is different than the St. John's River. It's like a narrowed channel that you get in, and the channel then takes you out to the inlet, and then you go out the inlet, and then you sail in the ocean. And uh, in order to get to the ocean, though, you might pull your sail up a little bit, but not a lot, because you had to be under motor to kind of stay with the boat traffic. And whenever you would, I would hate sailing on the weekends because whenever you would sail on the weekends, there was tons of motorboats. I mean, tons of yachts. I mean, it was down in South Florida. I mean, it was like, you know, there's tons of big boats, big fishing boats, big cruising boats, every kind of boat. And people, they didn't like sailboats because they were just like puttering, you know, trying to get to, puttering along, going to the ocean. And it was a nightmare. And I was just, I was kind of embarrassed to go, you know, because you're on the sailboat and like, oh, you know, you're, friends would come by and ski boats and all these like cool boats and you're like you know it's kind of puttering along 
And I'll never forget this one day. We're going out. It's a Sunday. I mean, it's beautiful weather. Tons of boats everywhere. We come out. We're in the intercoastal waterway. And we're kind of getting ready to make our way under the bridge and then make our way into the inlet. And all of a sudden, the motor cuts out in our boat, our sailboat, right? And there's no wind. The sail's like reefed up just to add stability. And we're now we're starting to drift. We're in the we're in the we're in the channel. We have no we have no power. I mean, it's a you know a big twenty eight foot heavy sailboat. It's not like you can get out and paddle or anything. And uh, and I'm like, what do I do, Dad? What do we do? What do we do? And he's like, get up to the front of the boat and drop the anchor when I tell you. And his idea was is that we would eventually drift out of the channel. We drop anchor and then our nose would swing into the waves in the wake of all these massive boats that were coming by. Right? What's well, low tide? which makes it a little more important too because you don't want to wash up on the, out of the channel and, you know, and get stuck on a sandbar at low tide because then you're, yeah, I mean, it's a train wreck because then you're stuck there for hours. People are going by. It's very embarrassing. Not to mention there's these massive waves coming off, off of these yachts rolling at you, right? Coming at you. And it's like, it's not, it's scary. It's kind of scary. So anyway, I'm up at the front of the boat. I'm like, Dad, tell me when to drop the anchor. He's like, I'll tell you when to drop the anchor. And we're like drifting out of the channel now. I'm like, when do, I, do I drop it now? He's like, I'll tell you when to drop the anchor. I'm like, do I drop it now? <laughs> and we're like drifting further, further, further out of the channel, like into no man's land where I'm like, we got to hit ground soon. Like we're out of the channel. It's low tide. We're going to hit the sandbar. I know we're going to hit the sandbar. I'm like, Dad, you want me to drop the anchor? No, I'll tell you when to drop the freaking anchor. Just get ready. You know, his eyes are on the boat traffic and we're getting further and further away. I'm like, this is not good. And all of a sudden, sure enough, wham, the boat like hits the sandbar. He goes, drop the anchor. I'm like, I'm like Dad, it's too late. I didn't say it's too late. I dropped the anchor. It's like sticks in and sticking out of the ground. I'm like, seriously, I feel like, like it's a SpongeBob video or something. <laughs> you know, but his eyes were on the busyness of the traffic and the busyness of what was going on. And he, you know, he didn't realize how far we'd gotten out of the channel. But I think that that, you know, if, if you're like me, if you're like me, that, that, that kind of describes life a little bit in some ways, you know. You know, we're, we're, our motor's off. We don't feel like there's any power. There's no wind. When we're grounded and we're getting beat to hell by the world, by stresses with our children, by things going on with work and by just the the messiness and the painfulness of life and we feel like what are we going to do now that's what I felt like I was sitting on that sandbar you know facing all of these big waves embarrassed as my friends would go by stuck not knowing what to do no power the motor's dead there's no wind to power us off the sandbar nothing to do and I think that on any given day or season of life, we can all run into situations that have the potential to ruin us, the potential to cause our pride to to rise up and try to hold things together. On those days, the question I think we have to wrestle with, in those seasons of life, the question that Jesus has for us is, do you believe that I'm enough to power you out? Do you believe that I'm the one that if you look up to me like we were singing today, if you lift me high, that that will be enough, that I am enough, that I will be enough to rescue you. In order to do that, we have to humble ourselves. We have to be willing to come to Jesus and we have to believe that Jesus can do that. 
that Jesus is enough, that he has enough, that he wants that for us. That he's the only one and the only way that we'll find life. See, intimacy is about us humbling ourselves and finding our way to him, choosing to prioritize Jesus, especially in the seasons of our life where we just want to power up ourselves, make things happen ourselves. Intimacy is about finding your way to him. Whatever it takes, whatever, whatever it takes, you're willing to do it because you believe that he will lead to life so that he can sort your life out, so that he can comfort you, so that he can sustain you. The story of Nicodemus is what I'm going to speak into today in the backdrop of that because I feel like the story of Nicodemus in a lot of ways has been misrepresented. See, I see Nicodemus as someone very different than many scholars have painted him. And we've been studying the book of John and our staff every week. And this week, the Lord, I feel like, really spoke to me, opened my eyes to something I never saw in Nicodemus. A man who was humbled, desiring for Jesus to put his life back together, to make sense of things. And so that's the scripture that we're going to read today as we look at what it looks like to find Jesus. This is John 3, 1 to 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Father, we pray that you would open the eyes of our heart, that you would give us your wisdom that comes from your spirit, reveal to us the truth of this passage, that we would find life and that we would live differently. In your name we pray, amen. In verses one to three it says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, the man this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one does the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now when we read this traditionally, many of us have been taught, See, look at Nicodemus. What a coward. What a wimp. He's embarrassed at Jesus. He's, he's, he's afraid that his... Pharisee buddies and the Sadducee buddies are going to see him coming to Jesus. A 
I can't believe he's like that, man. And, and, and kind of scholars spin Nicodemus right from the beginning as this dude that is, is kind of, he's worried about what others will perceive. He's afraid what they'll say. So he comes at night. And that may be true. I don't know. That's speculation, though. The Bible doesn't say that. People make assumptions about that because I, I think it fits their, their story of who they want Jesus to be to make themselves feel better. See, I would never do that. I'm not like, Nic- uh, no, I'm not like Nicodemus, uh-uh. I am one of the ones that Jesus is with in the crowd. That I'm the one, we're seeing the things that Jesus is doing. We're doing the things that Jesus is doing. I'm not like Nicodemus. It makes us feel good about ourselves. It's our pride, that's pride, just FYI, that's pride. I was praying about this passage, though. One of the things we're teaching our staff is that before you read any commentaries when you're studying the Bible, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to, to lead you, to speak to you about what, what he might want to share with you. And I felt like the Holy Spirit that morning when I was praying about this, he said, Antley, when do you most often come to me? You know, and I thought, I come at, at night. I don't sleep that well. I come to Jesus at night usually. When I wake up and I can't sleep, I come to him. And I felt like he said, do you come to me because you're ashamed of me at night? Do you come to me because you're afraid of what people will think? Do you come to me because you're a coward? Are you religious? Is that why you come to me at night, Antley? I said, no. I come to you at night because I'm awake. (laughs) I come because at night, the busyness of the day has settled. At night, my family's asleep and I have perspective that I don't have during the day. At night, I can just sit and be with you. Just be still with you. And I felt like Jesus said to me, Antley, when you come to me at night, that is our most intimate time. That time is so special to me when you just decide to come to me at night. And so with Nicodemus, I just wonder if he might have been visiting Jesus that night not because he was afraid of what his friends thought or because he was embarrassed of of being seen with Jesus or worried about being seen with Jesus, which, which again, he could have been. But I just wonder if if Nicodemus had, had been watching Jesus. We know that he was watching Jesus do all these signs and these wonders and these miracles. In Nicodemus' mind, he's seeing the busyness of God's kingdom come on earth, the things of God unravel before him, no in his mind, he's doing the things that the Messiah said he was going to do. And his mind just racing and going, the pressure of what his religious friends would have been saying to him during the day. And then at night, they're gone. Nicodemus is lying in bed, just pondering all this, thinking about all this. And he can't sleep. And he wakes up, he gets up, and he goes, I just got to go see Jesus. I'm drawn to know the answers to these questions. I'm drawn to him because I'm curious about who he is and what he offers and that's exciting to me and I want to go talk to him at night because that's where I am right now and I'm awake and I think he comes to Jesus not as a prideful Sadducee or Pharisee religious person but I think he comes to Jesus in humility and that's the way we have to come to Jesus if we're going to hear him, experience him and be intimate with him is in humility. Not being powered 
by ourselves, but being humbled by what we've seen him and what he can do. And I think that's how I, I just see that in Nicodemus. It's coming to him. He's a teacher. Jesus is a teacher. He's like, help me understand what I'm seeing. Will you show me what you mean? And this is Jesus' response. I think Jesus loved that Nicodemus came to him at night. Nicodemus' curiosity, his humility brought him there. And there was risk, for sure. Jesus says, I know, Nicodemus, you think you see what's happening here on earth around you. I think, you know, Nicodemus, I know that you're perceiving the things that I'm doing, and you think you know what you see. You think you know what's going on. And it's, it's tripping you out. I could see that, Nicodemus. But you haven't seen anything yet. To really see what is happening, my father has to open, the, open your eyes to his kingdom. It's like a baby being born again, Nicodemus. It's like, you know, he thinks while he's in the womb that this is awesome, that this is life, and that this is all there is. Then he's born into the world, and his eyes are open. He sees things, and he experiences things that he could never imagine. That's what my father's kingdom is really like. What you're seeing now is just a reflection of that because my father hasn't opened your eyes yet. But like, but Nicodemus, like many of us, often miss what Jesus is saying. Not, and I don't think Nicodemus misses it because he's an idiot. I mean, that's, again, that's a picture that lots of people like to paint. You see how if you're religious and you're probably you're going to miss everything. No, no, no. I think, again, Jesus is having compassion. Nicodemus doesn't miss it because he's stupid or because he's a religious person. He misses it because God hasn't opened the eyes. He hasn't revealed it to him yet. And Jesus is trying to show him that, that if you want to see these things, you have to come to me. If you want to experience life, it's only through me, looking to me, coming to me. Then Jesus goes on this next section to explain more to Nicodemus what he's trying to say. But he can't get beyond what he sees, what's happening in his life, in the present, in the seen world, so that he can see what's happening in the spiritual realm. But Jesus tries to explain it to him. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He's just again, he's thinking in, the, in, like, in the physical world. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? That's just stupid talk right there. That's crazy talk. I mean... So in Nicodemus' mind, he's like, okay, you got to be born again. So he's like, do we climb? I mean, where? I mean, what? We climb, what? How, how does that work, Jesus? I mean, that's the picture. That's what he says. That's crazier than anything that he's seen Jesus do. But he's just like, I can't make sense of this. What you're saying is just, it's crazy. You know? And so, again, so Nicodemus says, we come back in the, in the womb again? That's, uh, you know, is that how it works, Jesus? And so Jesus, again, with compassion, it's like he's slowing it down. He's like, no, 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 Nicodemus, wait, 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 wait. Let me explain it to you. Jesus says this. Truly, truly, Nicodemus, I say to you, unless one is born of water, which is representative of the flesh, of the womb, you know, the embryonic fluid breaks, what happens? Water comes out. Unless someone is born of the flesh, born of woman, and the spirit, which is from God, flesh and God now, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus is drawing this thing. He says, no, no, no. We're talking about two separate things here, Nicodemus. Two totally separate things. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Experience my Father's blessings. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. 
And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So Jesus is going out of his way to help Nicodemus understand what he's trying to talk to him about. But then we see Jesus kind of regroup here because the sense I have is that Nicodemus isn't getting it. And, and, and Jesus is with compassion and love more than anything wanting Nicodemus to see this picture. He's wanting him to get this idea that unless you come to me, your eyes can't be open. Unless my father opens your eyes to the things of the kingdom through the Holy Spirit, you're going to miss it. But he senses in Nicodemus, again, this humility, this desire. He wants to see these things, and he's just missing it. So Jesus kind of regroups, and he says this. Do not marvel that I've said to you, you must be born again. It's kind of like, just forget everything I just said. Don't worry about that, Nicodemus. Just don't worry about that. And he says, instead, listen to this. Here's another analogy. I'm trying to explain what it's like. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is, <laughs> so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Awesome, Jesus. That is just clear as a bell. Perfect. So not only am I picturing climbing into a mother's womb, I'm back into my mom's womb, but now you're telling me that this uncontained force that I can't see but I can hear, that's what it's like. I mean, that is insane analogy and picture that Jesus is using. It's the most confusing thing that he could ever use. The most random, ambiguous force of nature. I mean, if you would have said a stream, the kingdom of God is like a stream. You get in and you move downstream with it. You well, we can all kind of picture that, kind of, kind of see how that works. There's some, there's some like predictability of that. Or we picture the ocean. The ocean, its vastness, its, deep, its depth. And the, the kingdom of God is like the ocean. It draws you into the, it draws you in. And sometimes the tide is high and you get in. Sometimes the tide is low or whatever. There's some predictability to the ocean, isn't there? Or even the sun, the sun and its fierceness. That is what the kingdom of God, what if Jesus would have said that? It, you know, like Courtney said, it'll burn your heart. It'll make you feel warm in the kingdom of God. And, and, there, and even the sun is, is crazy and big and as vast as it is. We know that what's going to happen, it's going to rise every day. And it's going to set every day. So it is with the kingdom of God. I mean, Jesus could have said any, he could pick any force of nature or anything in nature. But instead, he picks this crazy, ambiguous, out of control analogy with the wind that you can't control. You can't grab. It's a powerful force. And Jesus is saying, that's what my Father's kingdom is like. That's how the Spirit moves. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, Antley, River City Church, you can't make this happen. You can't make this happen on your own. Life in the Spirit. Life as I've come to give it. Life as my Father desires for you to have it. It's like the wind so powerful comes and goes in ways that we'll never understand so relax it's not up to you stop worrying you can't make it happen Jesus wants us and Nicodemus to realize the life that we're hungry for the life that we're after the belief that intimacy and power in our life from him can only come as he desires in his timing on his terms 
our job is to position ourselves, posture ourselves to seek him, to be with him. You know, I say that. that that's, this is what the kingdom's like. This is what the, the quest for intimacy and depth in our relationship with Jesus is like. It's like the wind. You can't make it happen. You can't have enough quiet times, read the Bible enough, worship enough, pray enough to make it happen. And some of you, that is very worrisome. That you can't make your life work. That you don't have control of your life. And you're thinking right now, well, we'll just see about that. I'll just fix the engine and push on off the sandbar just fine. Some of you, though, you hear that and you're relieved. You're thankful. Trusting, maybe, for the first time today, that ultimately... Jesus is in control. That God does love me and know me more than I know and love myself. And with that comes relief. As you, as you see the messiness of your life, the brokenness of your life, the things in your life, the people in your life that you love but you can't change or control. Jesus says, I see it. I'm here. Will you come to me? Will you look to me? Will you pursue me? to have the answers, to sort your life out for you. Jesus wants to make sure that we in Nicodemus understand only he can power our life like we are supposed to be powered. And for him, Nicodemus, or us to think that we can experience the kingdom of God without God's help is, cra- is as crazy as me thinking that on that day when I was on my sailboat that I could blow into the sail and move us off the sandbar. It's crazy to think that. That's the picture that Nicodemus is being painted by Jesus for Nicodemus. Jesus is drawing Nicodemus and us to himself, saying that at every every level, whether you're a non-believer like Nicodemus was at the time, to whether you're a new believer or you're an old believer, a veteran believer, that the first step towards life powered by Jesus is believing that Jesus is the only one and he is the only way to life. If we really don't believe he is the one and only one who can give life or opens our eyes to life, then we won't go to him. We'll keep trying to do it on our own. And many of us, as we struggle in intimacy, it's because, you know, just finding time with Jesus, it's because we really don't believe that he is where life is found. You know, naturally, in the seen world, we all kind of believe that we can power our life by ourselves. We can make things happen on our own. And so in this final kind of section of Scripture, Jesus makes it clear it's not until we lift him up, that we look to him, that things in our life can be saved, healed, redeemed, restored, and intimacy with him can be experienced. He says this in verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus, you're blowing my freaking mind. That's the translation right there. How? How can you? What are you talking about? You're blowing my mind, Jesus. You're talking about wombs. You're talking about wind. You're blowing my mind. And just what Jesus says, you know. And Jesus answered him, "Are you the te- are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things?" And again, I don't see Jesus being condemning here or making him feel guilty or feel bad. He's humble. He's coming to you for answers. And Jesus is saying, you know, again, he's like, dude. You're a teacher, right? Let me, let me teach you now. Let me show you 
how these things work out. I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Nicodemus, you see and hear what we're telling you is the truth, but you still don't believe. You see us doing things on the earth. You see us things in plain sight. We're telling you about them. We're telling you what we believe about them. You've come to us and and you're not believing. You're not believing that I'm the one. You don't believe that I really am who I say that I am. Jesus is getting ready to drive this point home now that he is. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? earthly things what's he talking about here if i've if i've shown you miracles i've shown you demons being cast out these are earthly things these aren't even the really big things these are just the normal things that happen when jesus starts to move when his disciples start to do the work of the kingdom when the eyes when the eye when our the eyes of our hearts have been opened up and we believe that jesus is who he says he was we've been revealed we start to move on the earth these are earthly things and he's saying nicodemus you see these miracles you see people demons being cast out you see people coming to faith you see people being raised from the dead these are all earthly things you see them and you hear our testimony and you don't believe you're and you're not believing that i am who i say that i am how are you going to believe the real heavenly things of salvation in life the greatest miracle that's what nicodemus has come from come to him for how are you going to believe that when you don't even believe this and this is what i love about jesus as he says that to nicodemus again i believe with all the compassion all the love and all the patience in the world because he's just said that nicodemus how are you going to believe in the eternal the heavenly if you don't even believe in this and then jesus goes on to tell him show him the heavenly realm what he's trying to get him to believe and he says it's the next verse no one has ascended into heaven except he who's descended from heaven the son of god he's basically pointing to himself and saying no one's like me i'm the only one i am who you speculate you think that i am i've descended i've ascended i am the only one who has ever done that enoch melchizedek the other ones who have descended they've never descended from heaven i am a one of a kind i am the messiah he didn't say that but he's saying that in a way that Nicodemus would hear it. And he gives him this amazing picture reminding him of how God's rescued his people. And Moses, and he, so he goes on and says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will have eternal, eternal life. Jesus chooses to tell this story to Nicodemus, a religious ruler who would have known this story would have remembered this story, would have been told this story all the way through being grown up. A heavenly story. A story inviting him, Nicodemus, into life, eternal life. Reminding him of the day that his people, who had been disobedient to God, were being killed by snakes. And that their only hope of, of being saved from these snakes who were killing them was that they would look up to this bronze snake that, that, that Moses had fashioned. He fashioned it, he held it up, and as people were being struck by snakes and dying, he said, if you look to this snake, if you look up here, then you'll be saved. And Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, the life that you're after, what you're hungry for, what you desire to be saved, the eternal life, the heavenly things that your eyes haven't been opened to, the only way that they'll be opened is if you look to me, the Son of Man, for your salvation for your life. I am the only one who can give it to you. 
Only those who looked at the snake would be saved. And only those who look to me, who come to me, will find life. Only those will be saved from death who look to me for life. Again, and this is true, not only for the non-believer, not only for the new believer, and not only for the veteran believer. Looking to Jesus, looking for life, believing that Jesus has it all, that he's done it all, that he is it all. And the intimacy with him is the foundation for all of life. Intimacy is about us listening, waiting, and then moving with the wind when we hear or feel or sense Jesus is moving us. Intimacy is the journey of us sitting with Jesus and waiting for Jesus to move us forward with him. As we are finishing our Bible study, we always ask the question, now how would we apply this if we were speaking to people about intimacy? And right away, God spoke to me. And everyone's going around the group, and I'm wondering like, oh my gosh, am I going to say this? And Jesus said, Antley, you're Nicodemus. He says, you're just like Nicodemus. You can't see, but you think you can. You think you're leading the church, but I am. You think you have control of your family, but you don't. But I love that you come to me. I love that you come to me. Humbling yourself. Not trying to get the answers, but just trying to get me. And you think you know what you need, but until you come to me, until you allow me to open your eyes, to show you my kingdom, until you look up to me, will you be able to see and experience the life that I have for you? Isn't that what we all want? The life that Jesus has for us, regardless of where we are on that journey, that life comes from coming to Jesus, not to fix us, not for our answers, but because we believe that he is the one that gives life. He is the only one that can give us life. See, we're all like that sailboat I talked about in the beginning. Every one of us. We are made to operate under the power of the wind, the Spirit. We are designed as sailboats to be powered by the Spirit. But right now, if you feel like I do from time to time or all the time sometimes, like you were anchored, stuck on a sandbar, being hit by the hell of life, the pain of life, the struggle of life, and life circumstances, we are, folks, we are one gust away. We are one gust away from Jesus pulling us off that sandbar, pulling us to himself, and offering us life. Many of us are stuck there by Jesus so that we would come to him like Nicodemus did. And it doesn't matter how you get there. If it's in the day or if it's in the night, if it's because of discipline or complacency or because of worship or you do it, whatever way you do it, what's important is that you come to Jesus. Let's stand.